Hi, folks, and this is Timothy Harvey. A little echo there. We're starting a few minutes late here. We had the technical issues that get in the way with life and all those fun ways. Uh, welcome to the Tim Harvey Show, and this is our third episode. And if you are watching us live on Twitch, you can join the conversation. We have a chat function. You can come in. If you are listening to this at home as a podcast, uh, when it has come out through iTunes or podcast.com, um, obviously you can join the conversation through the email and the comments and all the fun stuff you can do on the Sci-Fi For Me website. And uh, I obviously encourage you to check out all of our great programming and writing on scififorme.com. Um, there's been some interesting, uh, interesting things going on with the summer movies and how bad they've been. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, every now and again, gets attacked for helping to hurt Hollywood's box office to drive down ticket sales. And for a website that is essentially um, a place where they take everybody else's reviews and then put them together to come up with an average, uh, attacking the people who put together the averages is not the most sensible thing to me. It doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. Um, of course, when Suicide Squad uh, was coming out, uh, there was this huge anger from a, a relatively tiny group of fans uh, who wanted to attack Rotten Tomatoes for giving Suicide Squad bad reviews. And again, Rotten Tomatoes didn't give the reviews, the critics did. And, um, I mean, Suicide Squad, uh, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't good either. It could have been so much better. There's so many great little moments in that film that don't add up to being a good movie. Um, but attacking the reviewer or attacking the service that actually, you know, puts the reviews together where, where the audience can find it. Um, it's not new. It's something that happens fairly regularly since the creation of the film critic, or a place where you could actually go see a bunch of different reviews. Um, but in all fairness to the critics, who have been known to get things wrong, we'll talk a little bit, a little bit more about that in, in just a few minutes, but um, honestly, film... Critics' reviews don't affect box office numbers very much. They just don't. Study after study has shown that people go to see the movies that they want to see. And whether if the, if the critics don't like it, who cares? Um, we all have those films that the critics hated and we loved. Uh, I have quite a few bad movies that I'm a huge, huge fan of. But... You know, especially when you have a summer like this one, because we're... I, I've been told today is the first day of fall. Is that right? Apparently, today is the first day of fall? It doesn't feel like it. It's like 90, 90 degrees here in Kansas City. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> the, the summer has had a pretty, pretty terrible string of films. Uh, just for an example, and these are genre pictures. Um, the, the Mummy, Tom Cruise's The Mummy came out. This was not... A good film. It had a great looking cast. Everyone was very pretty. And that's about what I can say for it. It wasn't scary. It wasn't that exciting. Um, we need to stop trying to put Russell Crowe in films that Russell Crowe doesn't need to be in. Um, he would never be my choice to play uh, Dr. Jekyll. Uh, I just, you know, it, it was a, it was a, we're starting off uh, the cinematic universe <laughs> their, their dark universe, it's not doing too well. Um, you know, for all the success of It, it's really easy to remember that uh, uh, we had another, or not maybe, maybe not that easy to remember, there was another 
uh, Stephen King adaptation that came out earlier this summer. The Dark Tower, which the trailers looked fantastic. We all got really excited about it. And the film was not good. Uh, again, fantastic cast. Everything looked like it should be in, in position to really succeed. And to kick off a, would have been an incredibly huge franchise if they could have made it work. But it didn't. Um, Valerian, the Luc Besson science fiction film, crashed and burned. Uh, that was an example, I think, of, of you know being something that was much more a European story that European audiences knew, as opposed to you know looking at the American box office for basically a French comic book. Um, comic book movies, what we have seen is that if you build, you have that initial built-in audience, that turns into word of mouth. And that grows, and by, so of course, by the time you put in you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, which was considered a big risk by a lot of people, uh, because they were not well-known characters. They weren't Captain America, or the Hulk, or Iron Man, or Thor. Um, these are you know, characters that comic book fans knew. But because Marvel had built up this sense of goodwill with audiences, people went to see it, and obviously turned out to be a slightly successful little movie. Um, so the Dark Tower, Valerian, of course, uh, you can find a couple of different reviews for Alien Covenant on SciFiForMe.com. Dustin Adair and I did a review over for um, Zompocalypse Now, and of course, I did a non-spoiler review. We didn't like the movie. Neither did audiences. It made about half of what Prometheus made, and Prometheus, you may recall, got trashed by the critics and kind of trashed at the box office too. Um, now, we're getting more Alien movies, because Ridley Scott is Ridley Scott, but, I mean, it was a big disappointment. And I think for some of these films, of course, we had another Transformers sequel out, and considering that I suffered through the first two Transformer films, because apparently I, my sins are great, um, I wouldn't, I didn't, I didn't even bother, I'll be perfectly honest. Um, I mean, I grew up at that time period where Transformers were the thing. They were the toys that I played with as a kid. The Transformers cartoon, uh, I was just the right age for. But Michael Bay is Michael Bay. And as far as I'm concerned, he's made one and a half good movies. First half of Bad Boys and The Rock. Those are the two. And everything else is, well, people enjoy them and they are happy to do that. I'm going to pass. Um... Yeah, War for Planet of the Apes got great reviews. Uh, people really, the people who saw it thought it was really, really good. But it's a grim, grim movie, and grim doesn't always isn't always what the audiences want. And in this particular case, unfortunately, for a series that turned out to be surprisingly good, um, as much as we look back at the Planet of the Apes, Apes films, as being really, really groundbreaking in a lot of ways. You can also look at those films and think, yeah, special effects are bad, the storylines are really simple, um, and you couldn't make those films the same way now. And of course there was a television series that I think a lot of people like to forget, uh, but of course and there was the Marky Mark attempt at a reboot, uh, which, you know, the best part of the entire film was Michael Clark Duncan, you know, saying, get your hands off me, you damn dirty human. That's the best part of the movie, and they're, you know... Um, but, so was the expectation that a new series of Planet of the Apes films was going to be any good 
was not high. And even though the quality was actually quite high, and has been quite high, um, you know, the fact that they are as successful as they are is kind of a surprise. It's a good surprise, but it was not an expected thing to have happen. Um, so unfortunately, that's an example of a film that, you know, should have gotten a lot more, um, a lot more response from audiences. A Cure for Wellness, which is a horror film, came out uh, earlier this summer, also bombed. Uh, critics said it was too slow. Audiences agreed. Um, Ghost in the Shell came out this summer. Actually, uh, no, it wasn't a summer film. It was earlier in 2017, but go, that was another one where it, it went into its actually screening with a lot of bad press. Again, if you're going to make a film, and Jason Hunt and I have talked about this on H2O and other places, if you're going to make a film set in a culture and its source material, and it's set in that culture for a reason, keep it in the culture... Or make a different movie, you know. This is why this is why the Akira, the threatened Akira adaptation, makes us very very nervous, because it's a film about Japan. It's a film about Japan's reaction to World War II and nuclear, you know, the being bound with nuclear weapons. It's set. There's not a com a comparable thing in U.S. history to wrap it around. It's it. You just can't do it. Don't do it, dear Hollywood. Listen, no, nobody does. No. Um, King Arthur came out earlier. Uh, Guy Ritchie's King Arthur. Anybody remember Guy Ritchie's King Arthur? Anybody see Guy Ritchie's King Arthur? No. Um, you, you know, you, again, you'd think Game of Thrones, huge, huge fantasy franchise, this giant, you know, uh, the, to have this kind of thing, you'd think a King Arthur movie would have potential. But we've, how many King Arthur movies have we had in the last 10, 15 years? You know, there's been King Arthur TV series and King Arthur movies. and There's an overload point for certain stories. and we're all, Everybody's always got afraid we're on the edge of the superhero overload, where the entire superhero you know, explosion of films and television is going to come crashing down. And it will, by the way, in case you think it's going to go on forever. It's not. It's not how things work. There was a, not that long ago... 20 years ago? 25 years ago? The Western? No, 25 years ago was the crime film. Uh, <clears throat> 30, 35 years ago was the Western. They dominated the screen. And the idea of a successful horror film or a successful science fiction film or franchises were just completely, un, you know, nobody was even thinking about that sort of thing. Uh, Life came out earlier this year, which was basically considered by a lot of people to be um, alien light. And I'll be honest, I haven't seen Life. And I want to see Life because having seen, you know, Alien Covenant of a film that basically was accused of being too much like Alien, well, I don't know, was it good? As opposed to Alien Covenant? So, uh, if you've seen it, let us know. But, yeah, I mean, it's... Um, it suffered a lot from comparison. Uh, faith, you know, true or not. Um, Power Rangers came out. I did not see Power Rangers. I have not been a fan of Power Rangers um, as a TV show. Um, there was the wrong age at the right time, I guess. Um, I know I have friends of mine who love the Power Rangers because they were the right age. When, you know, it, it's that it's that nostalgia thing that we 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 talk about all the time. 
Um, it gets in there and grabs hold of you, and you know that bad thing that you loved as a kid is still a bad thing. Uh, and Hollywood keeps trying to remake them, and they need to stop. But uh, yeah, so I mean, it's uh, there's been some bad, bad films coming out. Those are just some of the genre ones. I didn't even touch on the regular, you know, the the mainstream or ordinary quote unquote films. Um, it has. If you put out bad films, you're going to get bad box office most of the time. There are a lot. I mean, the Transformer films make money, guys. They make a lot of money. They're not good movies. That doesn't mean they aren't entertaining. I don't find them entertaining, but a lot of people do. And you can have entertaining and not be good. Uh, because one of the things that we also seem to have come out about this time as, as people are sniping at Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, by the way, there was a study actually that came out. Um, goodness. Um, uh, Yev Burquist, the director of Data and Analytics Project at USC's Entertainment Technology Center, uh, conducted a study that accumulated for the first 150 movies released in 2017. And he found that there is no correlation between movie review scores, Rotten Tomatoes scores uh, specifically, but movie, review score, movie, movie reviews in general and box office returns. No correlation. And that is basically the, the case. And that has pretty much been the case. Critics... We, have, we write film criticism on Sci-Fi for Me. right? Everybody, everybody who reviews a film or television, we're being critics of it. If you ever listen to H2O, Dustin and I and the rest of Team Zombie can be very critical. On H2O. And H2O, we do that too. <laughs> uh, we've been very critical on a lot of uh, our pod. No, but you said on, on H2O. H2O. Oh, Dustin and I. Dustin, well, Dustin, yeah, yeah. So on H2O, <laughs> Zompocalypse Now, all the podcasts I'm I know on. You miss it, but. <laughs> I'm so alone. Um, so. Yeah, the uh, I, I your co-host makes it all easier. The we all have opinions, and we have the things that we like and we don't like. Um, but audiences don't care what the critics say; they just don't. And they also studied um, what critics were saying about films, and they found that critics in 2017 were not being any more critical of films than they were any other year. In fact, in some cases, they found that they were less critical. So the box office numbers for the fans and studios and and whoever can, can complain about what the critics say but the fact of the matter is if you want to go see the movie or watch the TV show you're going to watch to go to the movies and watch that movie and or watch the TV show now where are you watching those movies and television shows are you watching them in front of a Nielsen box are you watching them in the theater are you streaming them online are you getting them from <clears throat> other sources <clears throat> I can either confirm or deny an advice of counsel. But that's just, I mean, the dynamic has changed. So looking at it as, you, that's one of the reasons we have these giant tentpole pictures, is because if you have these big event films, that's what they think audiences are going to come out to the theaters to see. And if they're not good, or they don't do well, people don't show up, um, and the other thing is, is your advertising budgets on these things. Half the time, your advertising budget is the same amount of money it costs to make the movie. 
If you made a hundred million dollars, spent a hundred million dollars to make your film, you're spending a hundred million dollars to advertise your film. Which, if you think about it, is completely insane. Um, there is, but that's what they think they need to do. Now, Hollywood often gets the advertising wrong. Case in point, uh, the film Mother, with an exclamation point, Darren Aronofsky's new picture. Marketed as Jennifer Lawrence in Rosemary's Baby. That's not what the movie is. It's not remotely that. Um, critical response... Okay, there, there's two sides to the critical response. The first critical set of critical responses have been, this is not a good film. And the advertising lied. Because it's marketed as a film that it is not. And so they went in expecting a film with that marketing and walked right into a completely different movie that is from all accounts. And I'm like, I've, I, know, I've, I, now, I know everything about the film now and I haven't seen it because I've read all these reviews and analysis. Uh, I'm pretty sure that if I watched it, I'd be sitting there going, yep, that's the beat here, and that's the beat here, and that's the beat here at this point. But the thing is, I, don't have, I didn't have any interest in watching it. And I felt kind of bad about that because it's a great cast. Uh, Aronofsky can be a really fantastic director um, but there's a certain mood that I kind of have to be in to enjoy his films and there's some some directors are like that you can really really admire their talent and not necessarily like watching the movies um, there are several of those I, I can bash Michael, De Michael Bay all day long but the fact is he's got a skill at doing what he does there's a reason people keep, studios keep giving him money to make movies. It's because he's successful at it. Um, uh, Gore, Gore Verbinski, same thing. I mean, you may not like their films, but they're good at what they do. And that's sometimes very, you know, as long as Michael Bay, as long as people keep buying tickets to Michael Bay movies, Michael Bay is going to make Michael Bay movies. You know, if you, people would stop buying them, he'd do something else. Probably not. But... <laughs> Um, still. So anyway, Mother, Mother had this, this blowback, and it kind of bombed its first weekend. It went, went also went up against Stephen, the, the new It adaptation, which is excellent, by the way. If you haven't seen it, if you're a fan of Stephen King, if you're a fan of horror, if you're a fan of Stand By Me or Stranger Things or any of the... If you're a fan of early, of, of early Spielberg... Uh, and there's a lot there for people who enjoy those kind of films, and it's genuinely creepy. I don't get scared by horror films. The last horror film that frightened me was Halloween, um, the original John Carpenter one. But it's genuinely creepy. It's shot beautifully. The performances are fantastic. I don't think it's a bad performance in the film. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to the second movie. Um, but, you know... That's a film I can highly recommend, and, and oh, I don't have to, because audiences have responded very well. The critics have responded very well, but the audiences have responded very well, as they've spent the money to go see the film. Um, where they didn't for Dark Tower. And Dark Tower got killed more by word of mouth than what the critics had to say. People who went to see it right away came out of it going, this is not what I wanted. And that's a real problem where, we talked about this last week, with, with, where adaptations go wrong. You're fans of the material they can be far worse for you 
than any critic is going to be. If you make, if they, if the fan, people who love that material, if they think you got it wrong, you're done. Um, if you know, if uh, huh, if Star Wars: The Force Awakens had ticked off Star Wars fans, uh, it would have been done. It would have been over. And I mean, just, it doesn't matter how much money they were planning on dropping into that. Uh, if that film had not done well, nobody was going to make it. You know, it's it would have it would have derailed it for for quite a while. I mean, it would happen. It would have happened again. There's too many possibilities with that with that universe and and to, to telling those stories. But it would have derailed it hard. Um, so the new crop of reviews we're seeing for Mother is basically people going, aha, the reviewers got it wrong. The reviewers were looking at the film the wrong way. And there's some very interesting, and again, I'm not going to get into spoilers here, but some very interesting articles out there about what Mother really is in terms of what kind of story it is uh, and why you should look at that as a viewer. And again, I think these articles are fascinating. I still don't want to see the movie, which is unfortunate, and I admit that's a kind of a problem, but I don't have to want to see every movie. You don't have to want to see every movie. You, know, some, you don't have to want to see the popular films. You don't have to want to see the films that everyone's telling you, this is a great, you know, this is a great indie picture that you, nobody's seen and you need to see it. Go see what you want to see. It's, it's entertainment, um, and you should, be, you should let yourself be entertained. So... That leads me to where I want to go next, which is um, critics and audiences have gotten things wrong when the films came out. And sometimes the, those films went on to become classics. Um, and sometimes, no, they're really just a bad movie. But they're a bad movie you love. And I, there's a lot of bad films that I am I'm a big fan of. When I was in college, we would come home uh, during the summers, and this was <clears throat> back in the days of mom-and-pop video stores, VHS, when you had to rent your VCR because you couldn't afford to own one. They were, they were like, you rented one for like 50, you had to give like a $50 deposit. It was kind of, it, yeah, it was, and they were, in, the, the VCR cases were indestructible. They were, they were more sturdy than the old film canisters, which you could basically throw into a volcano and they'd survive somehow. But uh, we would come back, and we had friends who worked at a video store, and we would rent just about every horror film and every science fiction film we could find. So we watched a ton of terrible, terrible movies. Uh, I did get my early exposure to Italian horror, so I actually got... Uh, uh, which worked out well. There's a lot of great foreign horror films that uh, American audiences just don't notice because they didn't have the exposure. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you happen to be someone who's got a 12-pack of beer, a couple of friends, and six hours to kill, and you cram in a bunch of bad horror films. Um, but, you know, again, critics critics got it wrong on films like... And I'm just going to throw out some some titles here. Um, Ghostbusters got bad reviews. Psycho got bad reviews. Scrooge, Scrooge. There's two Christmas films. There are two Christmas films: Die Hard and Scrooge. Anybody who tells you there's any other Christmas films, I'm sorry, they're misinformed. Other films are holiday films. 
Die Hard and Scrooge is the only Christmas film. No. Um, it, got, it got bashed right and left, but it is a hysteric fight club. It's not really a genre picture, although it kind of is, too. It is, you could look at it a couple of different ways. Um, it got bad reviews. Apocalypse Now got bad reviews. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the, the, again, uh, critics are giving it an opinion, and some of those opinions are based on many, many years of analysis, but not every film critic is going to enjoy a film like The Shining, which got bad reviews. Um, and for those, for a lot of fans, it's not a good adaptation of the novel, but it's a brilliant movie. Um, Psycho, again, Psycho, a film that defined, you know, what modern horror was going to be. Um, it just, New York Times was not fans of that film, and it was a pretty brutal uh, review. Predator, who doesn't like the movie Predator? Okay, there's lots of problems with it. If you stare directly at Predator, do not stare directly at Predator too hard. Okay, but it is a fun, bad science. It's it's very much an old, pulpy kind of science fiction film. It's a Saturday matinee um, monster movie, and critics hated it. The Exorcist. Now, I am someone who I admire The Exorcist more than I like The Exorcist. And uh, I'm actually a huge fan of Exorcist 3 with George C. E. Scott, uh, which apparently nobody saw except like five of us. But it's, uh, it's much more of a psychological horror film than certainly the one that nobody wants to remember, Exorcist 2. Um, or even the prequels to The Exorcists that, of course, that whole thing blew up. Um, it's... It's really, really easy. Uh, oh, yeah, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Gene Wilder version, which is the only version. The only version ever made of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. You can't tell me there was another one. Uh, but it's, it, uh, it did not do well at all. The Thing. Okay, so here is John Carpenter. John Carpenter did more in the 70s and 80s to make what we consider to be the modern horror film happen. Um, Halloween, The Thing, these were films, I mean, this was the entire, <laughs> the entire genre of the serial, the, this monster with a knife, the psycho with a knife, the slasher film. Slasher films existed before Halloween. Uh, there were actually quite a few different uh, psycho with a knife movies well before uh, Halloween, but it basically gave what wise filmmakers, and that does not include everybody, uh, the template for making a film that was genuinely scary, had uh, great characterization, you know, and of course an iconic score. It inspired a lot of less than stellar imitators. Friday the 13th series, and this is where you think Star, Star Wars and Star Trek fans get into it. The Friday the 13th Halloween fans can go head to head pretty well. Um, the Friday the 13th films, um, while successful, uh, they basically said a lot of story went sideways in place of sexing, sex and gore. And it worked for them. But the thing is, of course, based on, on the Campbell story, uh, Who Goes There? And then uh, the Desi Arnaz Vegetable Monster version of the thing. 
uh, was that the 50, Jason River, what, 50 what? Which one? Uh, the Desi Arnaz thing, Howard Hawks. 53? Yeah, uh, early 50s, certainly. And Desi Arnaz. James Arnaz. James Arnaz. James Arnaz. James Arnaz. <laughs> that would have been a different movie. <laughs> that would have been incredible. Got some <laughs> And Lucille Ball saves the day. I think that would be excellent. I think uh, there we go. <laughs> I want that movie now. And they're both gone. Hollywood, do not recast two actors as <laughs> Lucy and Desi and have them fight aliens. It would, don't do it, please. No. I do not need the secret history of Desilu Studios. Um, but the thing, basically, you know, it's, it, it's a film that runs on paranoia. And it runs on great practical horror effects and really solid storytelling and very solid performances from actors who, many of them were not known for doing that kind of movie. Kurt Russell was not known for doing films like The Thing or Escape from New York or any of the great things that he did with Carpenter. This was, of course, when he was a Disney child star. The computer wore tennis shoes. Uh, and, you know, I mean, that's old enough to remember watching <laughs> Kurt Russell do that stuff before he grew a beard. And turn into basically the you know the amazing butt kicking badass that basically <laughs> everybody thinks of him as. Um, those are the you know the thing in, in Big Trouble in Little China, and uh, you know Escape from New York. These were the films that they kind of did a lot to. I mean, you would not have a film like Guardians of the Galaxy. You would not have Guardians of the Galaxy without James Gunn being a fan of John Carpenter. Big Trouble in Little China, there's a direct line from Big Trouble in Little China to Slither, James Gunn's, the film that James Gunn uh, really came to the forefront with, which is a very funny movie. It's gross, and it's cool, but it's very, very funny. Um, yeah, you would not have these things. So, but you know, the thing was, everybody hated it. All, it, the, most critics really couldn't stand that movie. And it was, for its time, it was very graphic. The monster effects were really, really intense. And you can argue whether or not they, they've aged well. I think they have. Some practical effects do. Some didn't age terribly well. But overall, they've held up pretty, pretty good. And I think that a lot of horror fans and a lot of science fiction fans uh, have argued pretty persuasively in the last probably 10, 15 years where CGI has taken over the genres that, you know, there's something to be said for the practical effects. The argument um, versus Star Trek The Force Awakens' use of practical sets versus Lucas's you know, CGI sets from the prequels, that makes a difference. There's a lived-in sense that reality has that whether it's a tentacle monster, or a spaceship, or the bridge of a starship, or, you know, a sewers with a psycho clown monster, in all fairness to clowns. I, I, know, some, I know some clown performers. They're good people. Uh, it's not, we've gotten to the point you have to say that anymore. People are, the attacks on clowns are unfortunate. But um, the, the practical effects stuff has really, people have come to appreciate it in a way that I think 
the, uh, the industry was thinking they were going to get away from that, that they were going to replace it all with this great CGI. And you, know, you can do amazing things with CGI. But I think a lot of fans realized uh, that they really enjoyed visually, that there's a visual, there's a texture to practical effects that you just don't get with CG. We're not there yet. Um, 2001. 2001 got trashed by critics. Um, and if, even if you think 2001 is a slog, it is a slow-paced movie. I don't think anybody is going to argue that it's not a slow-paced movie. But it's also very cerebral science fiction. And it's um, really... Again, it's another one of those... Uh, sorry, folks, the clock stopped. All the technology fail. Hmm? 38 minutes? Ah, I'm running a little long. That's okay. The 35 minutes is a completely arbitrary time that I sit there and Jason said, how long do you want the show to be? And I said, I don't know, 35 minutes? <laughs> um, but the thing is, okay, I, I haven't even gotten to... Um, the bad films that I love. Maybe we'll do that on another episode. Um, and maybe the bad films that you love. Because there's not enough love for films like Dead Heat. Um, which is the one Joe Piscopo film. No, that's not true. Um, Johnny Dangerously. Two. There's two Joe, good Joe Piscopo films. Um, but Dead Heat is Treat Williams and Joe Piscopo. And it's Zombie Cops. How could you not love zombie cops? But it was too far ahead of its time. If, if it came out now, <laughs> oh, it'd be fantastic. But there's a lot of great, there's a lot of great films that are great because they're entertaining, maybe not because they're good. And I think we'll we'll we'll, have, we'll cover that in another another episode. Uh, and hopefully, you guys can give us some of your suggestions as well, because we all have our guilty pleasures, and we all have those films that we love that everyone else looks at us and goes. Why? It's because it's entertaining, and I laughed, and they're like, okay, i got to go now. So We'll go as well, and hopefully you can guys can come back and join us again next week for more of the Tim Harvey Show. And obviously we want you to check out all the rest of our uh, great uh, podcasts on SciFiForMe.com and SciFiForMeRadio. You can, of course, find us all over social media. Uh, pick about just about every social media format out there and we are there um, and my monitor has gone blank here so oh goodness there we go Pinterest YouTube Tumblr I have never looked at our Tumblr page I don't look at anybody's Tumblr page <laughs> uh, oh well I barely look at my own Twitter page anyway thanks for listening folks we'll be back with more next week on the Tim Harvey Show this has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio copyright 2017 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio.